Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals to talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. Let me go and introduce our crew to you. Guys, if you don't mind waving for the uh, video portion of our show, I believe everybody this evening is retired. Uh, we have Ward Mythaller, and Ward is a uh, he's a retired attorney. He's also a former federal prosecutor. We also have Chief John Newman. We have Captain Brett Bartlett, Corporal David D. Gresta, and Officer Cody Ann Cook. And we also have producer Will Statzer. So thanks, guys, for being on the show. Appreciate having you. Also, a shout-out to our sponsors. We have Colin Case Management, Guardian Alliance Technologies, GunLearn.com. We have Extra Duty Solutions and Viridian Weapon Technologies. And we are syndicated on the radio through the Boss Hog Radio Network, a good talk radio which is part of the cutting edge radio network we're also on roku tv with cutting edge tv and we're powered by pexip so thanks to all those entities that make this happen we have a a good lineup there's been uh, some changes at the last minute uh, with the show lineup uh, due to some new stuff but our first one is on politico and it's titled black lives matter power grab sets off an internal revolt thought this was interesting and we've got a couple things actually talking about black lives matter or blm tonight um now the black lives matter movement according to the article it's buckling under the strain of its own success with tensions that are rising between their local chapters and national leaders over the group's goals the direction and the money and the, i think the the money is probably one of the biggest deals here brett now from the beginning Black Lives Matter was a grassroots effort born in the streets with no central hierarchy. It says the idea was to keep power concentrated in the hands of its members being the people. Now, apparently that's changing after a summer of protests that made Black Lives Matter a household name, which I can attest to that. Uh, those on the top of the movement are making a series of moves to alter the power structure. They're organizing a political action committee, forming corporate partnerships, adding a third organizing arm, and demanding an audience with President-elect Joe Biden. Now, these moves that I just mentioned, they've triggered a mutiny in the ranks. So there are 10 local chapters that are severing ties with the Black Lives Matter global network. And that's the national leadership. And they are furious that Patrice uh, Cullors, and she's the remaining co-founder, uh, that she has assumed the role of executive director of the group and made these decisions without any input from them. And that move, according to them, it's, uh, anyhow, they're rebuking that. And it's, um, it's part of the leadership's uh, structure, which gave every member e an equal say. That's no longer going on, apparently. And they think that the new position for the founder, it's overreaching. So that's pretty much the notes and bolts of it. Here's a quote, and it says that um, it, it's from the, they're calling it what, the BLM 10. It says, we became chapters of Black Lives Matter as radical black organizers embracing a collective vision for black people engaging in the protracted struggle for our lives against police terrorism. So at least it kind of lets you know where they're at. Um, 10 local chapters wrote in, in an open letter last week that with a willingness to do hard work that would put us at risk, we expected that the central organizational entity would support us uh, chapters in our efforts to build uh, communally. And it talks about the 10 chapters, they signed the letter and they're um, proclaimed to be, um, you know, the pound side or, you know, BLM 10. So that's their, uh, that's their name. Guys would love to get some input. Um, you know, Captain, you want to start it off and then, and then uh, David D'Agresta? Yeah, I'm going to translate this whole article for you, Chip. Show me the money. So all these millions of dollars are out there. And it's just, you know, what's turned out from a 
from a, a, a grassroots movement, a people's movement. Now it's just another corporation. You know, they've got bylaws, they have a structure, they've got money coming in, money going out. The man is keeping the other man down. It's kind of funny to watch them eat themselves alive. I hope it continues. You're enjoying this a little bit too much, right. I think, but uh, I, I hear you. I know you're fanning yourself now for all of our radio listeners on Boss Hoggies fanning themselves. So, David, Corporal David. It, you know, it's it's hysterical, like Brett said, to watch this happen. It's it's, But it's the standard activity, the standard practice, uh, the standard, standard, standard historical occurrence in a generally socialist, Marxist, anarchist movement. Like that any any that you've seen anywhere in the world that have that has done this same thing, trying to literally overthrow a government, um, undo uh, a, an economic system, uh, whatever you want to call it, their their primary goal or, or what they think their primary goal is, and, and it always comes down to this. Just look around the world. This is exactly what happens in every other movement like this. The the people that see the money suddenly go, wait a minute. If we want that money, we've got to have the power. So this is what happens. It's it's hysterical to watch. It's it and should have been predictable, actually. Thank you, Corporal. All right, all good input. Um, Chief Newman. You know, I'm I'm I kind of struggle a little bit with this because I the more we talk about them, the more it legitimizes them, and I, I find them to be an illegitimate group, um, even in their grassroots format. You know, their their, their mantra isn't steeped in, in statistics or data. Um, you know, they're passionate about it, no doubt. So I, I'm really reluctant to talk about it, but this is a classic case of, you know, you know, a hegemony, one group trying to, you know, seize the values of another within its own group to see who's got power. Money is always the underlying cause of that, um, you know, where you have the, still the locals that want to, you know, keep control, want to know where the money's at, but they also want to leverage it. They want to leverage it by meeting with leaders, and the more they leverage their authority or power, they keep it, centralized and the more powerful they become. But I, like I said, I kind of, I was reluctant not even to say anything because I, you know, it kind of feeds into that, you know, this is a legitimate group and I'm not saying the group doesn't exist, but you know, it's only a few months ago that we had congressmen and senators saying, you know, BLM was a concept, you know, it wasn't a movement, it was just an idea. And now we're talking about membership looking to have, um, you know, to utilize its power, not just over itself, but for political influence. And I, I think we get, I don't want to get down that road with that group, to be honest with you. Thanks, Chief. You know, the, one thing's for sure, they've certainly gained in popularity, and it has become a household name, which just kills me. I tell you, if I see another, you know, BLM, you know, T-shirt, I think I'm going to freaking bust, you know, NFL players, all kinds of sport. It's just, it's just, it's just these people have no clue what the movement stands for um, and how illegitimate it is. So good, good points. If there's nobody else on this one, we'll move to our next article. And we have some more Black Lives Matter stuff coming up. So so don't worry to our YouTube listeners that are with us live right now. Um, on PoliceOne.com, grand jury indicts a San Francisco cop who was attacked and shot a man. This video, they've released new video in reference to this. It's just, in my mind, just crazy. The white A grand jury has indicted a rookie San Francisco police officer who fired a single shot at a man who attacked him and his field training officer and who was apparently trying to stand up after the training officer shot him multiple times. So Christopher Flores, he's one of two San Francisco police officers who shot and seriously injured a 25-year-old named Jamaica Hampton. This happened last year after Hampton, who's the bad guy, attacked the officers 
and uh, our cop has become the department's second rookie officer to be criminally charged in an on-duty use of force case in a matter of weeks. Now, the officer who first shot Hampton as Hampton appeared to close in on him with a bottle in his hand was not charged, and this happened in the Mission District. Now, uh, Hampton, who survived the shooting, was also indicted by the grand jury after surveillance footage and police body cam showed him attacking police with a glass bottle just before the shooting happened. Now, these indictments of both Flores and Hampton, so the good guy and the bad guy, and I'm considering the cop the good guy, they were handed down on Friday, but San Francisco District Attorney Chessa Bowden, and I, I think I pronounced that correctly, they, she, uh, well, Chessa announced them on Monday, exactly one year after the December 7th, 2019 shooting, so obviously wanted to do it on the anniversary. Now, Hamptons, our bad guy's left leg was amputated because of his injuries. I have no sympathy for him. Uh, Bowden withdrew charges earlier this year after they charged the bad guy. You know, Bowden withdrew the charges, but uh, until the grand jury uh, reaffirmed the charges. So public defender Danielle Harris said, quote, the amount of punishment that Jamaica, our bad guy, has already received as a result of his conduct a year ago has been so severe, far more severe than anything that could lawfully be done to punish him. It just seems hopefully unnecessary and performative, I would say. So, wow, that's, anyhow, Danielle, that's what Danielle says. So she thinks he's been through way too much. Of course, he lost his leg. But now we have uh, Chief Bill Scott said that Flores was the subject of an unprovoked attack by Hampton, who repeatedly struck Flores over the head with a thick glass bottle and pursued Flores as the officer was retreating. And here's a quote from the chief saying, while I find the day's indictment surprising and troubled based on the circumstances, I have faith in our judicial system and confidence that justice was, will ultimately be done in this case. And, of course, the pictures of the officer that have been online, he's all bloodied up. His face is, is really messed up. Um, I don't even know if plastic surgery is going to be able to fix that or not. Uh, but, uh, Chief Newman, you want to start it off and then the captain? And we've got guys uh, about a minute and a half before i got to do a commercial break. You know, I was kind of wondering if Ward know who this guy was. He was a public defender before he became a prosecutor. Uh, you know, his parent, parents did time. But, you know, there was a, a great article. We, we saw this video a few months back, and I think we're all critical about the officer because there was a bolo pulled up right alongside the guy and how he put the passenger in harm's way. Remember, Dave? And we're like, after this call, the driver, we got, you know, a can of what I mean? So I remember, the, you know, the video. But, you know, this, this is one of those progressive... Um, you know, uh, district attorneys that want to get away from the punitive, I think he called it the punitive actions of the 90s and the 2000s, where you were tough on crime and you were looking to reduce crime. He wanted to get away from it. And I think it's a prime example of what his ideology is all about. Thank you, Chief. All right, uh, Captain, and then uh, I know Brett wants, uh, Ward wants to weigh on this too, but we've got uh, roughly around 30, 40 seconds. You know, Chip, we, they, they've been dancing around the issue. They've been indicting here. They've been indicting, so they're, they're eating at the edges. San Francisco needs to fire all its cops. Get them all out. Get rid of the police department. Do it now. I encourage you, do it now. Because unless, unless the people rise up in protest because they're being killed by bad guys, nothing's going to happen. So let's stop with the halfway measures. Don't indict one cop. Indict them all. Be done with it. Let's get rid of them, San Francisco. Thank you, Captain. I, I appreciate it. Uh, Attorney Ward, if you want to, I don't know if you still want to weigh in or not, so if you don't mind uh, holding your thoughts for just a few seconds, I'm going to take a commercial break, but we will be right back. I'd like you 
to check out Column Case Management software for the life cycle of your case. Now, some of the biggest clients are Chicago PD, New Orleans PD, the Texas Department of Insurance, and the Inspector General of Ohio, where the typical agency has only 15 and 30 investigators that are using the software. Why, you might ask, is because the data is not only easy to enter and to manage, but you can quickly drag and drop any size attachment, including video, into a case. They also have a link analysis module community policing module, smart reporting, and their mobile-first technology lets you do all this from your smartphone, your laptop, or even your desktop. They also have a 24-hour help desk that will respond to you within only 30 to 45 seconds. Imagine that. So call in case. They've launched a NIBRS-compliant records management application, and for a limited time, you can mention this show, Leo Roundtable, and get a free two-year subscription. So from the opening complaint to case closed, let Colin manage the life cycle of your case. Visit columncase.com or schedule a free demo by emailing them at info at columncase.com. back to the Leo Roundtable show. I just want to point out, Ward, before you go, that for all of our radio listeners uh, that are listening since we're um, nationally syndicated, if you want to watch any of the videos that we're talking about and read the stories, I have all these on our Facebook page. So if you simply go to Leo Roundtable on Facebook, I've got links to all the stories, all the videos, and so that'll make it easy for you to actually, you know, watch what we're talking about. And producer Will, you know, is getting all that up on YouTube as well and also on Rumble. So that said, Attorney Ward, the floor is yours. Uh, the name is Boudin, by the way, not Bowden, but Boudin. And I do know who he is. His grandfather was an instructor of mine at law school. His mother was um, was in prison for felony murder, part of the Weather Underground. His grandfather was a radical lawyer back then, but by radical, we're just talking about labor unions, that sort of thing. Um, nothing like nothing like we see today. I, I don't find this as easy as everyone else seems to think it is. I had a problem with this film when I saw it when it first came out. I, 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 I question, and I, I need to hit, see a lot more, but I do question why the second cop shot several seconds after this guy had already been shot several times. And um, um, I, I would like to know what was going through his head, and I don't think it's quite as easy as everyone seems to think. Well, I, I, I know they said that the, that the subject was getting up, um, and he still had the bottle in his possession. So, but, but again, uh, David, I, I know you're waiting to weigh in, so go ahead, David. Yeah, you know, Ward, Ward always makes good points about looking at these videos and picking them apart to, to look at the, the specifics. And, and, I'm, and, and not to argue those specifics, I think we've, we covered them ad nauseum the last time we went over it, but this was a rookie cop. And it, since everything else has really been covered, the only thing I'll do is add once again, as a rookie cop, why in why on God's green earth are you working in San Francisco? Are you have you lost your mind? Um, any, anyone that has the ability or is getting a certification in California, go elsewhere. You cannot be that stupid. Uh, but this is an example, as Brett said or pointed out, a little hyperbolic, but yes, nonetheless, um, uh, that. These cities are not the place for you guys to be. If you can get out, I've said it before, get out, get away, go to an agency that appreciates and uses you as the law enforcement officers that you've been trained to be. Uh, get away, or this is this is what's waiting for you. 
Thanks. Thanks, Corporal. And, and David's right. He has said that repeatedly on the show, so much so that that he's been slammed on uh, YouTube from uh, supervisors, you know, with uh, I, I think it was San Francisco PD, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, and people that like the supervisors that were slamming you. I mean, you've taken some heat for that. But David always stands by those words. I have to agree with them. Uh, you know, it is not the place to be, guys, it, whether it's Washington State and, you know, Seattle or San Francisco and California, you know, watching some videos after this was done in the in the, in the people that were questioning the shooting, um, they were saying, I, you know, that they couldn't believe that nothing else, you know, could have been done besides shooting this guy. And, of course, that brings in the whole, opens up the, the, the door for the whole necessary standard, you know, instead of the reasonable standard, which is a whole other story. But, uh yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I would, there's no way I'd work there, Dave. You know, you know, I'll, I'll fight back a little bit on on that too. I mean, here you got this a rookie cop who had just had his clock cleaned by this guy with a bottle. Now, if you saw his injuries, he had a huge gash on the back of his head. I'm sure it required at least ten or fifteen stitches. He had been hit in the head at least at least two or three times with this bottle. Now he's now he's he's at the very least he's he's off his he's off his mark. Uh, his partner shoots a bunch of times, four, five, six times, whatever it was. And now this guy with this bottle is getting up off the ground again. Maybe this rookie cop thought, there's nothing else I can do. Um, I, I don't think I can fight him. I'm already half out of my wits from getting hit in the head three times by a bottle. So my last resort is to save my own life and shoot this guy again and make sure he doesn't get up and do it again, and hit me again or my partner, as, as, as the case may be. So, you know, we can argue those points. You know, the legalities and, and the lawfulness and all that kind of crap. But again, the bottom line is <laughs> if you don't have to, if you're not stuck there, get out. Thanks, Corporal. Yeah, I even saw them initially at one point after the beating with a bottle, they were trying to take them down with OC pepper spray, you know, which shows that, um, wow, that's restraint. Um, hey, Ward, I think I'm going to start calling that guy. I think I just call him Budadine is what, it, it was, what his name reminds me of. So I just do Budadine. If he doesn't like it, he can get upset. So, all right, if there's nobody else, we'll go to a video then. Now, this was covered on policeone.com and also TMZ. Uh, now, the video, like I said, associated with this, police shoot, kill gunmen outside a New York City cathedral. So this is all, you know, very recent news. Man was fatally shot by police on the steps of a landmark New York City cathedral. And this happened on Sunday after began firing two semi-automatic handguns at the end of a Christmas choir concert. Now, the gunfire started about 4 p.m. in the afternoon at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. And this is the Mother Church of the Episcopal uh, Diocese of New York. And a 45-minute concert that was held on the cathedral steps, it had been concluded. Crowd of several hundred people are starting to leave. And this is when the gunman starts to shoot. And people start running. They're screaming. They're diving on the sidewalk. Now, there's a detective, a sergeant, and an NYPD police officer who were at the event. They fired 15 rounds and killed the gunman. Now, in the video that I watched, um, I counted 18 cops. And this is when, you know, like shots are, are still being fired and stuff. Not one of them that I see with a long gun. Everybody had pistols. I mean, they were the street was littered with police cars, too. I, I couldn't believe that not one of them had a long gun to use. But anyhow... 15 rounds fired, killed the man. No one besides the gunman was struck. Uh, now, the gunman was dressed in black with his face. He had, a, he had like a white baseball cap on. He had a face mask on. And uh, he had um, a silver pistol in one hand, a black one in the other. And he was hiding behind like a stone column at the top of the staircase. So he had a, a kind of an advantage as far as, you know, elevation goes. 
but he was behind a round pillar, which which only provided a little bit of protection for, uh, from him for him. Now, witnesses told police the man was yelling, kill me as he fired. And he had a lengthy criminal history. He was carrying a backpack that had a can of gasoline, rope, wire, tape, knives, and they say a well-worn Bible. So, uh, wow. So we've got a roughly 30 seconds. Anyone want to comment on, on that video? Uh, Corporal David, go ahead. Yeah, th there wasn't a whole lot to the video that you could really make out as far as all that's concerned. I, Mike, I, I think it's all fake news. I don't think it actually happened because you can't get a gun in New York, right? Is, isn't that the way that is up there? You, there's, <laughs> you can't, there's no guns there, right? Because de Blasio said so and so did Cuomo, right? Am I wrong about that? Somebody, anybody? It was a that miracle. Was, that was pretty good, Corporal. All right, uh, Chief and Captain, hold on for a second. We're uh, going to take another commercial break, but we'll be right back. Now, this is the time I take where I want to tell everybody about our YouTube audience and how the best to watch the show. Now, our live show is every Monday at 7 o'clock Eastern time, and it's an hour-and-a-half show. Now, Will, our producer, takes that show and splits it up in the five segments, and he uploads those to YouTube Tuesday through Saturday. But in those segments that he uploads Tuesday through Saturday, he also embeds the videos that we're talking about and pictures of the good guys, bad guys, and everything like that. So it makes it for a pretty uh, unique experience. Now, also during our live show, we have our YouTube subscribers that are talking to us. So if you want to subscribe to the show, Make sure you have your alerts turned on. Simply go to YouTube, type in Leo Roundtable, subscribe, have your alerts turned on. You get notices uh, from YouTube via email with links to the show, and you can converse with us and talk to us live. I know that Cody and Brett are doing that right now, and I do it as time permits, so it makes for a, a great way to watch the show. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Um, did we have any other takers on this uh, last topic? I know that we had uh, the chief and the captain. Did you guys want to add something before we move on? You know, first of all, in one video you saw, Chip, the, the old lady walking across the street. <laughs> she don't even flinch when she hears a gunfire. I'm like, damn. You know, I'm familiar with I know this church. It's really Morningside Heights. Um, it's a big church. You know, I'm not surprised about the number of law enforcement there because it's right on New Amsterdam Avenue, you know, which one might just be considered right in the you know the southern part of Harlem? It's it's well populated this time of year under normal conditions. I'm not sure what it's like for the pandemic, but the law enforcement did a great job because they do have a Christmas show on the steps of that cathedral every year. Apparently, they had one earlier. But this guy apparently had a you know according to the news that when I was listening to it on the way to from home from work, this guy had a real violent history. Yet he has a gun. All those you know all those sarcastic points that Dave made out are very accurate. He shouldn't have been able to possess a gun. He had violent arrests, and you know he had history of violence in his past and other arrests. He, um, you know, had a lot of mental issues, and yet here he is, you know, standing in what might be considered an, uh, an Upper West Side uh, icon with, you know, with two handguns blasting away, uh, just wanting the cops to kill him. Glad everyone was okay, because a lot of folks, like I said, under normal circumstances, watched that, uh, you know, that Christmas show. Um, but uh, I thought the, I thought the cops did a good job. Thanks, Chief. Captain Brett. Yeah, I think it's great that in New York, if, if some violent thing happens to you, you'll have at least 18 cops right there. So that kind of that kind of makes me feel better about saying you don't need guns in New York City because you're going to have 18 cops right there protecting you. So I think that's great. Um, 
No, wait, 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 that's an event, that's an event, Brett, I mean, they well, wait, shut down, wait, wait, oh no, that's wait, like wait, saying, like, wait, wait. Uh, that, on, that was a, that was a detail, I want, I want 18 cops when I get hurt, so where's it, so I'm not, I'm not going to get 18 cops when I get, oh, all right, let me rethink, let me rethink, well, Captain, are you bothered by there not being a long gun present at, out of all those cops and the, all the cars that were there? Yes. That's all I get. I mean, come well, on, New York. That's all you asked. That's all you asked. I said, yeah. Come on, New yeah. York. I mean, crap, this could have been. Well, I know, mean, but, I, but listen, none of those guys that I could see were dressed up in turtle gear. I don't think they were the, like you guys, when you see like in, uh, uh, you know, New Year's Eve and the big events, so it looked like street cops to me from what I can see. And then as far as I can tell, from what I've heard from the guys I know up there, they don't carry long guns just on patrol, but you know, it could be wrong. Well, but, but that needs, that needs to change. I mean, like, look at the size. That will, the size that of that will that never backpack. change in New York city. That will no. never change. They were the last department in the, on earth to go to hollow points because back then they carried lead round nose because hollow points hurt people. They said they were the last ones to transition. So you really think they're going to carry rifles? The size of that backpack, they're lucky that guy only had two pistols. All right. Anyhow, he wanted to go home you. to Jesus, and, and they helped him out. Well, I, I saw when I mentioned the uh, the heavily worn Bible, um, I, I saw you break yours out on the screen and, and holding yours up. You know, so I, I, I know you're a, uh, a God-fearing man, too. So, all right. Well, I think Thank I think you. God put the steel in the ground that Smith & Wesson pulled out and crafted in my m and So I think I'm just part of the big system. Uh, that's why we love you, Captain Brett. All right, if there's nobody else, let's move on to our next one. Uh, we are on policeone.com. Portland police and demonstrators clash over an eviction order. Now, I, I know that uh, Attorney Ward has been watching this transpire. Man, there's so many articles. There's at least four or five articles on this, uh, just from Police One alone. So I kind of combined everything. Hopefully, I'll get this thing right. I'm, I'm going to kind of go through this real quickly. There's a little, little bit of, uh, of information. Protesters were outraged with the arrest of seven people at a home where a family was evicted in September. They hurled rocks at officers, sprayed a fire extinguisher at them, damaged police vehicles. And this happened on a Tuesday. So a group of activists for months, for months, actually since the summer, have camped out at the home dubbed Red House on Mississippi because it's on North Mississippi Avenue to express their outrage against gentrification and the eviction of the black and indigenous, indigenous I hopefully got that right, David, family in September. So Julie Metcalf Kinney, she's Native American, and her husband is William Kinney Jr., and he's black. They owned the home for more than 23 years before they lost it to foreclosure for failing to pay the mortgage for nearly a year and a half. So it kind of makes you start losing sympathy for some of these people, but the story gets better. Julie, um, the wife, and the couple's oldest son, William Kinney III, they've asserted their sovereign citizen beliefs that the law does not apply to them and the courts have no jurisdiction over them or their debts. So the Kinney family and their supporters say that they're fighting a history of gentrification, discrimination, predatory subprime lending that has gutted Portland's historically black neighborhoods, replaced them with apartments and condos. So they're not all about that. Now, the Kinneys paid off their house, but they took out a new mortgage to pay defense lawyers after a family member was arrested back in 2002. So the real estate investor who ended up buying the Red House on Mississippi, he bought it for $260,000. Uh, 
$1,000 through a foreclosure sale in 2018. He's offered to sell the property uh, back to them, the former owners, um, and uh, at cost. And I did read somewhere that a house next door um, was $10 million. I mean, so can you imagine having this mess going on next to your really nice house? An online crowdfunding effort raised about that amount of money, and 5,000 people donated to GoFundMe to save the Kenny family home. So Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, uh, he said that he hoped to negotiate a settlement to end the demonstrations uh, because the protesters have been there since the summer to block the efforts to move the Kenny family. So the property owner complained that people were trespassing. Officers showed up before dawn. They made arrests. Activists, of course, um, were trying to reclaim the house for the family. So following the arrests and the clashes, protesters uh, Tuesday afternoon, they used power tools, set up barricades, wire fencing, debris, pallets blocked off the streets, and they had signs kind of like a autonomous zone that happened in Seattle. Stop the foreclosures, no jurisdiction for the police. And the street behind the blockade in the neighborhood of homes and coffee shops and restaurants, it had booby traps aimed at keeping officers out. They had homemade spike strips, rocks, plastic, I mean, all kinds of uh, crap they had all over the place. And uh, it, it kind of gets better from there. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. They finally uh, did a settlement and the uh, they used the money to uh, that the, I guess the family was able to get on GoFundMe to get the house back from the new owner. So all that said, our attorney Ward, we've got three and a half minutes. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? There's no way, There's no way you can possibly, can possibly get this story, get right, story right based on the news articles that we read. I looked into this because I saw that statement about the house next door being worth $10 million. What's next door is not a house, but a large upscale apartment building. So that made me suspicious about what the AP had to say about all this. So I looked into it further. They're all saying that they're all saying that this the kid, the 17-year-old kid, was charged with assault in some articles, and others they say it was a, 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 a traffic event. Let me tell you what really happened. In 2002, the son, 17 years old, was driving without a permit when he ran a stop sign at 45 miles an hour or higher and killed an 83-year-old man and seriously injured his wife. He was convicted of uh, hit and run, third degree assault, and what the equivalent of reckless homicide would be for, for an adult. Went to jail for five years, got out. The family took out a loan. He said that his attorney sees for $26,000. They took out a loan for $96,000. Later refinanced it at $126,000. So what happened to the other $100,000 that they're talking about making a big deal out of? Well, the kid gets out of jail in 2007. He's, he, the same year, he's arrested for driving without a license and having drugs in the car. He skips out for two years. He's rearrested in 2010 and convicted of for driving without a license um, and having drugs in the car. He's sentenced to five and a half years in jail. He's cited 12 times for contempt of court at his sentencing for talking over the judge and the lawyers. While in prison, he's cited 15 times for illegal conduct. Then he gets out of jail, and he helps his mother submit some sort of form to try to get rid of the mortgage, uh, saying that she's an American sovereign and that no one has jurisdiction over the land of Oregon and that she's falsely accused of being a U.S. citizen. The other thing that's not mentioned in any of these articles, he filed, he invoked the jurisdiction of the federal court, however. Uh, he sued um, um, 21 entities, some of which didn't even exist, 35 claims, including genocide under American criminal law and, and a claim under the U.N. Declaration of Indigenous Rights. He, he changed his name to William X. Nietzsche. He referred to his father as Mickey Farrell and his mother as the Jewel Empress of Compassion. 
Uh, he claimed that he was in charge of a trust which held the property and the trust was domiciled in the ancient Mosa Salish territory of the Monama Republic. Um, outrageous, just outrageous. And the press doesn't go into any of this. The judge ultimately, in a very long, uh, detailed opinion, this is in the front of the Ninth Circuit now, uh, said that the documents clearly explain who he has to pay and when. He was warned about foreclosure and still did not pay for 17 months and threw the case out. So these are these are facts that you will not read in any of these articles. Wow. In, now, in, instead, they, instead, they want you to believe this has something to do with black and indigenous uh, family. And regentrification. Yeah. And, and, well, the regentrification is a problem there, but, you know, sell the house. You, it, they own the house free and clear until they took out these mortgages. And, and oh, and as a result of all this, what yeah. happens? They get well, over $300,000. Some... They get over $300,000 on a truck. All right. Well, thank you, Ward. Hold that thought. Hey, we're going to take another commercial break. We'll be right back in just a second. Now, I want to take an opportunity and tell you guys about something that's affecting our law enforcement agencies nationwide right now. Our country is crying out for accountability around who we hire to serve and protect them. I've had a front row seat and not only seeing, but also in experiencing the flaws in vetting and hiring law enforcement officers. It doesn't have to be this way. And our friends at Guardian Alliance Technologies, they have the solution. Now, Guardian has developed a CGIS compliant background investigative software platform that helps you uncover potentially problematic applicants in record time while helping to ensure that you have the best quality officers actually serving. There's no upfront fees, training, fee, training fees, installation costs, or long-term contracts or commitment. So I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. You know, I saw every time I see a, a grim, a, a, like a smile comes across producer Will's face. And it only happens when he gets to cut somebody off while they're talking because they, they don't see the flashing screen behind me, you know. So, so uh, good, good job, Will. I don't care what the attorney says. Good job. So, uh, but uh, Ward, I, I don't know. I, I think you, hopefully you finished your point. I know the Chief Newman's ready to go, but we got, uh, we got nine minutes to finish this topic or go on some more stuff. So go ahead, Chief. You know, so here it is again, a false narrative that the media pushes out there. You know, so the guy who bought the property followed the procedures. This this family or this kid didn't. You don't get to read about anything. But just think about all the people that live around that neighborhood who have had their lives disrupted. Crime has gone sky high, all because they built this facade of some sort of victim. And you have the mayor that actually negotiated with this family to make sure that they weren't going to get the house foreclosed on them. You're going to get on this slippery slope, but yet, like Ward said, what the media is putting out, what the AP is putting out is, you know, is just not accurate. Dare I say not true. Uh, and you, you, that's a national paper. So you're not from the area, but I feel bad for the folks that live there. I feel bad for the Chaz zone businesses that were in that four block ratio, you know, in the beginning of the summer that they still have to pay their, their bills and these folks are taking away their livelihood. In this case here, all, all false. N nothing that they're you know saying that they need to champion a cause for actually exists. And the mayor decided to negotiate with these people. I think it's ridiculous. 
Thank you, Chief. Appreciate that. Now, uh, Ward, before you go, I just want to uh, make an announcement. I, I know the producer, you know, Will's seen it too. MVS just made a donation to the show. So, uh, you know, it's one of our guys that watch the show live on YouTube, comments to us and stuff. He's a huge supporter of the show. So, MVS, thank you. Now, uh, we always have someone special go after MVS, you know, makes a donation. So, Ward, the pressure's on. What do you got to say? Well, um, um, John referred to the mayor. I might add that the mayor and the chief of police of Portland apologized as part of all this for their tweets because it might have led to threats against the family. So here you got the chief of police and the mayor apologizing and this family getting over $300,000. Well, thank you, Ward. Captain Brett. I don't think it's happening enough. This little three-block takeover is not my neighborhood. It's not the neighborhood of across town in Portland. It's not the outlying suburbs. So people think, oh, thank God it's not in my neighborhood. It needs to happen citywide. They need to import more Antifa, more BLM. They need to take over all the streets. Everybody in Portland has to suffer or nothing's ever gonna happen. It's not on my street. Therefore, I don't really, I'm not really worried. Thank God it's not on my street. I don't know what I do. Thank God it's not on my street. I still get the cops. Thank God it's not on my street. I don't have to look at it. It needs to be on the streets of every street in Portland, period. Put a wall around it, bring them in, import Antifa from across the world, plant them in Portland and do it now. Now, Captain, don't mute your microphone. Keep it open. I got a question for you. Someone watching our show, they hear, they, they tune in late. They hear Captain Brett Bartlett, you know, spewing the stuff about, you know, bringing Antifa, build a wall around the city. So if you're living in there, what is the solution? How are you? And and I know I, I know what you're going to say, but but explain to these people how they solve. What do they? I know what needs to happen before the they people actually make it. In Portland, who don't want this happen. They need to rise up and they need to have a million men march in Portland. They need to knock on the door of the mayor and say this has got to stop. They've got to take over the police department. They've got to walk the streets of Portland with guns and knives and weapons. They need to stop it themselves because nobody else is going to stop it. We're eating around the edges. A little piece here, a little demonstration there. Six block takeover here. Six block takeover there. These people need to get their asses out of their out of their houses, and they need to march. But normal people don't march. We suck it up until it's on our doorstep, and then it's too late. But ultimately, Captain, you're talking about the polls voting. I mean, you don't see this going no, on. No, no, you know what I'm talking about now. I'm talking about gigantic, gigantic protests. I'm talking about taking over downtown, a peaceful takeover of downtown. Block the streets, block the doors, peacefully block them, show them. We can't just go to the polls because they steal the vote from us. We thought, didn't we talk about this weeks ago? All we have left is our vote, but we don't have that anymore. What's left? People need to get out. They need to get out of their comfort zone. They need to drive downtown. They need to park their cars. And they need to stand in front of City Hall and say no more. This is enough. You know, uh, producer Will, thank you, Captain. Producer Will, we'll have to uh, put Brett's phone number and contact information when we do the produced version of the video so people can hire him to to do their movement. It's not the movement he's used to doing, but uh, it, there's always there's always new things. So, so. Chip, in my age, <laughs> movement is very important. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but thank you, Captain. But you did say we, that. We, well, we love you, Captain. That's why we love you. So, all right. All right. Is there, if there's no, no more comments, then we'll go to our next one. Then I've got about four minutes. We're on police1.com. Portland PD 
Wow, we're, we're, we're in Portland. Uh, they are moving their traffic unit and their canine units to patrol next year to fill shifts, and they want to cut overtime. Now, Portland's police chief plans early next year to reassign traffic canine officers, some narcotic investigators, to the patrol division to fill shifts, reduce overtime, improve response times, because they're facing approximately $2 million in deficit um, this fiscal year. And the chief's name is Chuck uh, Lavelle. So that's what's going on. So any comments about that? I mean, we probably saw it coming. Um, the public may not like it. If there's no comments on that and we treat that as an update, we'll go to our next one then. And I see our next one, we have a video attached to this, police1.com, suspected package thief hits an officer with a car. And you know what? We've got two videos uh, this evening where officers are getting hit by cars. So this is Linwood, Illinois. Woman struck an officer with a car after police caught her accomplice attempting to steal packages from someone's porch. Now, the driver is a 26-year-old female named Megan uh, Rozak, and the 38-year-old is Stepan uh, Winooski, and he's the guy, I guess, that was grabbing the packages. They're both wanted in surrounding communities for similar crimes. Now, the Linwood police officers, they caught Wazinski, the bad guy, while in the act of responding uh, for a call of people stealing packages. Now, as police were arresting him and trying to get the female out of the car, she accelerates and strikes an officer head on before taking off on a chase. So a sergeant gave medical aid to the injured officer while another officer chased Rozak. Now, she eventually stops, and she tries to flee on foot, but the officer apprehends her with assistance from the Lansing Police Department. So we're, I'm assuming, in another jurisdiction. Rozak, the female, was charged with attempted first-degree murder of a police officer, aggravated battery of a police officer with great bodily harm, while the guy, the theft package guy, he was charged with theft, fraud, and uh, he was wanted on a warrant. So the injured officer was released from the hospital, and he's now recovering a uh, a wild video guys we've got about a, a minute and a half uh chief newman you want to comment on that video well you this video compared to the other one we're going to see and, and maybe when i started watching the video the officer is already in front of the vehicle and we've talked about it a ton of times you versus the vehicle it's a it's a loss loss you know no matter how you look at it but i'm not sure if he put him if he put him there if he walked up on the vehicle where when you see the bartender a video that we're going to see in a couple of seconds is a little bit different. The guy stands, works his way in front of the vehicle and actually gets hit. But, you know, we have to, you have to pay attention. I'm not sure where officers think that if they stand and put their hand up. They're like, you know, Iron Man, you know what I mean? Stop. I'm Iron Man. You're not going to, you're not, you're not going to run me down. And and this guy's lucky that he just got, you know, bruised up a little bit. Um, you know, you looked at the one guy that was arrested. He's a tweaker. They got a lot of issues up there with opioids in that area. You know, those ports, pilots, pirates, that's all they do is steal stuff, sell for their fix. He looked like he was, you know, uh, you know, already, you know, jonesing for, you know, for what he was actually stealing for. But I don't know if he put himself in front of the vehicle or if that's the way he showed up because you don't see the beginning of the call where when we're going to see the other video, I think the officer puts himself in harm's way on Jump Street. And we just, our officers have to be smarter than that and think that, you know, I He's not going to run me down. I'm a police officer because they will. Now, David, you got about 15 seconds if you want to throw something in. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the video. I, I don't know what the guy was thinking. He was just standing there in front of the vehicle. I couldn't tell if he had his hand up or his gun out or what it was. But why? Like Johnson, you look, you look at the picture of the girl. She was the same tweaker. I'm with you. All right, guys. Well, look, thanks. More coming up in a second. We're going to take another commercial break, and we'll be right back.
All right. Hey, at this time, I want to tell you guys how best to watch the audio vi uh, version of our show. Now, we are nationally syndicated on the radio. We're with the Boss Hog Radio Network and also the Cutting Edge Radio Network. Now, Boss Hog Radio, they've in Florida, east of Tampa. They're in Bushnell, Lakeland, Plant City, Winter Haven, and Avon Park. They've got four AMs and an FM, and we love uh, being on Boss Hog Radio. Also, Good Talk Radio, they are internet radio, and you can uh, actually watch both of these or listen to both of these on the radio as well. And we are also through the Cutting Edge TV. We're on Roku now. So roku tv and you can watch our show on demand as well if you go to the roku simply look for and type in your search block cutting edge tv and you'll be able to find us that way so it makes for a uh, an interesting way to watch our show and hey guys also this whole setup everything here is really for the radio production you know side the clock behind me and everything so please check us out on the radio